I found something interesting on the uh, internet this week. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and uh, I've been observing it with the church fellowship for many, many years now, and yet I found, and, and I deeply appreciate Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, but uh, listen for the twist on this now. <clears throat> this is called, now don't get this wrong, Why I Hate. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Now we're going to find out why. This man is a professor at uh, Southern Baptist Seminary. He's the dean, academic dean. And here's what he says. I don't hate Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because I think it somehow is unbiblical. No, indeed, the entire canon of Scripture throbs with God's commitment to the fatherless and to the widows. His wrath at the shedding of innocent blood. I don't hate it because I think it's inappropriate, just as every Lord's Day should be Easter with the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Christmas with the announcement of the Incarnation. So every Lord's Day should highlight the worth and the dignity of human life. I hate Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because I am reminded, now don't miss this, that we have to say things to one another that human beings shouldn't have to say. Let me mention this um, at this point. Uh, this was mentioned in prayer, that there is forgiveness from the Lord for those who have had an abortion. I've heard personal testimonies through the years of women who said, you know, they were deceived, and yes, they had a choice to make, but they've been forgiven and the grace of God is in their lives, strong. So yes, there's forgiveness. But this is what he says. I hate Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because I'm reminded we have to say things to one another that human beings shouldn't have to say to one another. I thought that was interesting. It's a different twist. We shouldn't have to say to one another, mothers shouldn't kill their children. Fathers shouldn't abandon their babies. No, we shouldn't have to say no human life is worthless regardless of skin, color, age, disability, economic status, or stage of development. The very fact that these things must be proclaimed is a reminder of the horrors of the present darkness in our country. I do agree with that, and Robbie mentioned that. I hate Sanctity of Human Sunday because I'm reminded that as I'm giving forth the Word of God that there are babies warmly nestled in their mother's wombs who may not be tomorrow. I also love Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, however, when I think about the fact that I serve in a congregation with ex-orphans all around, children adopted into loving families, I love to reflect on men and women who serve every week in pregnancy centers for women in crisis. And I love to see men and women who, yes, have aborted their babies, but have found forgiveness of sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that's saying a lot. It really is. Sanctity of human life. Well, uh, it's interesting when you try to define life, it's very complex. Um, life may be defined as personal existence granted by God. 
because we understand, as we have been praying, that God is the source of life. And I'm going to read these two very familiar verses. You know, you'll hear somebody say once in a while, well, pastor, you're preaching to the choir. Why don't? Because we don't have any choir up here. What they mean by that is you're, you're communicating truth to people who already understand it. But there's value in that. Remember the Apostle Peter said, I bring to your remembrance the things that I have taught you. First Peter. And he, he continued to remind them of the truths that they heard from the Lord and from the other apostles. He reminded them. Genesis 2-7, And the Lord God fam, uh, f- uh, formed rather man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being or a living soul. This, of course, made man a spiritual being different from animals. A person who is able to communicate with God. Genesis 1.26 God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air. Verse 27, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female he created them and of course we are made in the likeness of God we have minds emotions and will just like God does we're made in his image we're like him animals are not like him man is like him and we did not evolve from animals we were created we just saw the verse in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 There's another truth I want to mention. I'm just going to touch on this. Some of you take notes and you might want to jot this down. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 17 to 20, we don't have the time to stay stay there, but uh, Moses says to the people of Israel, God is your life. Boy, don't miss that. He is our life. We get our life from him and we live in relationship to Him. When you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're in a relationship with the God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, and He is your life. Also, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, it says that God's Word is your life. Listen, we're at the place, believers, where we need the Word of God. We need to read it. We need to read it often. We need to value it. It's so important to us. Didn't Jesus say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word of God. And so Moses said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 32, verse 47, these instructions are not mere words. They are your life. Boy, that's heavy duty, isn't it? That this book, this book of 66 books, uh, is our lives. And uh, it's vitally important for us. Now, on January 22nd, 1973, the United States Supreme Court released the infamous Roe v. Wade decision to legalize abortion in the United States. That is a date I believe will live in infamy. Abortion is the premeditated terminating of life of an innocent unborn child. These are some recent statistics from National Right to Life. 1.27 million abortions every year in America. 3,490 abortions every day. 145 abortions every hour. 
Should we be concerned about it? Should we not be able to communicate with those who feel that abortion's okay before man and before God? I think we should be able to do this. And then this figure, again, has been released. There's some variation given to it. But since 1973, the Roe v. Wade decision, over 60 million babies have been aborted in America. That's a lot, isn't it? That's more than the population of some states. Erwin Lutzer, who wrote a book called Exploding the Myths That Could Destroy America, and he's a great writer, said since the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, 97% of all abortions take place for convenience. And he quotes and says, abortion has become one of the nation's means of birth control. Pro-choice people say, with regards to the fetus in the womb, it is not a baby, it's just a mass of tissue. So you see those who serve in Someone Cares and other um, crisis pregnancy centers, they have to be ready to answer these arguments. The best book, by the way, on that is by Randy Alcorn. Uh, It's called um, Answers to Arguments from pro-life people. That's, it's about that thick, and it covers them all. I mean, it covers a lot of answers. Answers to arguments. Randy Alcorn. So they say, it's not a baby, it's just a massive tissue, but the Word of God says, a fetus is not just a massive tissue. It's an individual human life. The Bible God's Word does not distinguish between a baby in the womb and a newborn baby. The same Greek word, brephes, which means baby, is used of a fetus in the womb, Luke 1.41, when Elizabeth saw, or rather heard, Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in the womb. And then, Luke 18.15, by the way, Gospel Luke, written by Dr. Luke, kind of knows something about the human aspects, doesn't he? But it's interesting the Holy Spirit guided him to use brephes, B-R-E-P-H-E-S. It's used of the baby in the womb of Elizabeth and is also used in Luke 18:15. People were beginning to bring their babies to Jesus just to have him touch them, knowing that he was the Son of God. Here's another one. Think this one through with me a little bit before we look in the psalm. The argument. Every woman should have the right of control of her, over her own body. Repeat. Every woman should have the right of control over her own body. Now, there's a sense in which that is true. However, listen to the answer. A woman should have the right to control her body. However, as soon as you hear that, you put the however in there. In pregnancy, there are two different bodies, two different heartbeats, two different brainwave patterns, two different genital codes. I'll look at it again. Genetic codes. (laughs) DNA. 
two different blood types and often two different sexes. So therefore, a woman should not have control over the death of another person. Think you could answer that now? Wow. It's not easy, is it? You know, all that we say must be, well, what did the Apostle Paul say? Speak the truth in love. We have to have compassion for those who do not understand biblical principles the way you and I do. But it's very true that there are two different bodies, two different heartbeats, two different wave patterns, uh, two different genetic codes, etc. The greatness of God is given in Psalm 139, if you want to turn there. And those who understand the awesomeness of God. In fact, one of the reasons we're here this morning, in fact, the primary reason I should say that we're here this morning, is to worship our God. He is absolutely awesome. And this psalm brings out the awesomeness or the greatness of God. And it's interesting how the psalmist from time to time would say things like this, Psalm 63.1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. So I look for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. You see, the psalmist wanted to understand more and more the glory and the awesomeness of God. Psalm 139. Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. God communicated with Moses like perhaps no other person. He came down and he spoke and he communicated with Moses. And Moses said, Lord, I want to see your glory. We as believers someday, when we get to heaven, we're going to see the Lord in all his glory. And heaven's going to be lit not by these kind of lights. I don't like them anyway. Um, But the glory of God will be seen in heaven. How awesome this is. The psalmist said in 27.4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, to behold the beauty of the Lord. We used to sing years ago a hymn. I'm not sure if it's in our hymnal now. In his glory I shall see the King, and forever let his praises sing. Twas on Calvary Jesus died for me. I shall see the King someday in all his glory. How awesome. That will be. Well, this passage, which contains the greatness of God, also shows God's work and presence in a woman's pregnancy. And we'll look at that section. It's section three in your outline, which deals with God's omnipotence. However, let's begin by looking just briefly at the uh, first part of Psalm 139, God's omniscience. Let's see how God is working with us. See how he works in our lives. How wonderful to know that God's not just remote, uh, off doing his own thing, but he knows and he cares about us. God's omniscience in verses 1 through 6. God knows all things equally well and without effort. I remember that definition from Charles Ryrie at Dallas Seminary. I like it. God knows all things equally well and without any effort. And so we see in the first four verses of this chapter, there's enough information to help us to understand that God is all-knowing. He really knows everything. In fact, he even knows the the common, um, shall we say it, the common 
uh, aspects or casual moments of our lives, when we sit down, when we stand up. He even knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows our words before we speak them. Wow. So what should we, um, how should we respond when we realize our God knows all these things? Well, certainly he's able to guide us. And at the end of the chapter, what does the psalmist say? Guide me, Lord, because you know everything. We don't. We don't know what tomorrow holds. So that's why we want to communicate with the Lord today. That's why you want to pray about your week. You want to ask God's blessing. You want to pray for those like women who have a choice and a decision to make. You pray for them and pray for God's intervention in their lives. And then watch and see what God does in answer to prayer. It is amazing. God knows our words even before we speak them. Verse 4. Someone said it this way. I don't know too many other foreign languages. Some of you uh, know some other. Some of you can speak Spanish real well. I'm still learning English. I just wanted a response from you. Okay. Uh, Some of you know a lot of languages. Listen to this. Think about this. God knows every word of every language in every human being on every continent at every moment of every day. (laughs) I mean, that's awesome. I'm going to read it again. When I saw this, I thought, wow. God knows every word of every language and every human being and every continent at every moment of every day. Wow. He knows us. And he loves us. And he's called us to himself. And he's a God who pays attention to us. You'll notice it says in the text, verse 6, um, I'm going to turn the page here, verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. What an awesome God we have. And, and we love him. And he loves us. And I guess one of the things you want to do when you come away from Psalm 139 is to realize God was not only forming you in the womb, and we'll look at that in just a moment, but he's watching after you now. That's why it behooves us to keep good communication with our awesome God. What a God he is. You continue to look in the psalm, and it says that um, the psalmist, realizing uh, the omnipresence of God, asks two questions in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit, and where can I flee from your presence? And the answer to that is, where could he go? Nowhere. Jonah didn't quite get a hold of that, did he? He thought, I'm going to get away from the Lord, and I'm going to go to the city of Tarshish. And Wow. The Lord brought him back by um, very interesting means, didn't he? The psalmist said, if I go up to heaven, you are there, verse 8. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I could travel at the speed of light, the wings of the morning. If I could go to the moon in two seconds, Lord, you're going to be there. So the omnipresence of God simply means that there is no place where he is not. And that provides for us tremendous encouragement to know that God's watching over us and he cares for us. And it was the Apostle Peter who had to learn a lot of things after he was chosen to be a disciple of Christ who sat down one day guided by the Holy Spirit and wrote, Casting all your care upon him because... He cares for you. He's concerned for us. He loves us. And we get into the third section of the psalm. 
And we see God's omnipotence is developed by the psalmist. Verses 13 through 18. He designs and forms our bodies in the womb. This is one of the greatest passages in all of literature about the miracle of human conception and birth. The psalmist says God is present at conception and birth because man is made in the image of God and because God has a special purpose for every human being. We live in and with our bodies all of our lives and realize how amazing they are. Look at verse 13. For you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That term to be formed and covered, actually it's the word covered, really means to be woven together. In other words, in the womb, God weaves together a human being. Now, let's stop here just for a minute. Let's think about this. We are how we are physically today because God worked in our mother's womb and formed us when we were in the womb. Wow. You see, God's hand is upon our lives as God's children and as believers. And for those who don't understand that man is created in the image of God and that God is at work in the womb, they might rightfully say, well, if I don't want this child, I can eliminate this child. You see, not understanding what God has done. The psalmist says, I've been fearfully and wonderfully made. In fact, you'll notice there's a terminology again in verse 15 where he says, I was skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth or in a secret place. Skillfully wrought is the word which means woven together. Just like a, a cloth can be brought and woven, to get, woven together. God himself is involved in the making and development of a baby in the womb. Now, we understand that. That's pretty clear, isn't it, in Scripture? Multitudes of people do not understand that. And you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, it's hard for me to talk to somebody when they don't believe the Bible's the Word of God, when they, they believe it's just man's words. What can we do apart from saying God supernaturally guided the human writers of Scripture so that we have in these 66 books, we have the written Word of God. You, you just have to keep communicating uh, the fact that this is God's inspired Word, and it's amazing. Don't underestimate the power of your words because the Holy Spirit will take the sincerity of your words and touch the hearts of those who do not believe. You say, well, not everybody's going to believe. No, not everybody's going to believe. But they need to hear the truth because what does the Word of God say? You should know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Wow. I, I wrote this down. See what you think about this. The psalmist was saying this. In my very first hours and days of life, after conception, when I was still wrapped up in embryonic form, God was watching over me. Verse 16. 
when you saw my substance yet being yet unformed or not fully developed, God was watching over him. From the very earliest moments of conception, God is at work in the mother's womb. Now, verse 16 goes on and talks about life after birth. So interesting. God not only concerns himself with us conception to birth, but also life after birth. He did more than design and form our bodies. He planned and determined our days. Did you see that in verse 16? And in your book they are all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. Yeah, that's something to really think about. We're here today. We're all gathered here together. And God knew we would be. In fact, believers, he was working in our lives to guide us to be right here today. And he knows all the days that we will have until that day when he calls us to be with him in glory. What he plans for us, he planned and determined our days. Did you see that in verse 16 again? The days fashioned for me when there was not even any of them. The length of our lives, the tasks that he wants us to do, he has a plan for our life. And that's why we need to keep communication with him to know what his will is for our own lives. Someone has said this, God's people who are faithful to him are safe until their work is done. Boy, that's good. You're safe. You're here. And you're going to stay here until God calls you home to be with him in glory. Text for that? Oh, there's a number of passages. But I like the one in Acts 13:36 where it says, David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell asleep and he was buried. So it's a wonderful thing to know, again, when a believer goes home to be with the Lord, that God has used that person's life for his glory, and in God's timing, that believer goes home to be with the Lord. So awesome. The last section of the psalm, just quickly, is the psalmist's request. And you'll notice he says, Search me, O God, which we heard sung this morning. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. That's a good way to pray, too. Lord, is there anything in my life that shouldn't be there? Uh, every once in a while, uh, you and I will have opportunities to pray with people and say, Yeah, there's something in my life that shouldn't be there that God wants out of the life a number of times after communion someone has said would you have prayer with me not necessarily in the prayer room out here and I say why is that and they say because I couldn't take communion this morning because I'm not really in fellowship with God would you pray for this need in my life Boy, now there's a person who's responding to the Holy Spirit. A person who goes on and on and on in sin without being convicted of it. That Christian's got a need. But when the Holy Spirit convicts, how awesome that is. And that uh, we can respond. The psalmist says, Lord, tell me if there's something in my life that shouldn't be there. So um, the Holy Spirit will do it if you sincerely ask him to do it. Then you can repent of that sin and have God's forgiveness. So important. Then he says, lead me. Now, quickly in summary, 
we've considered the sanctity of human life. We realize that those who are pro-choice and pro-abortion do not understand the sanctity of human life, that life comes from God. I'll summarize thoughts at the very, very end here. But we ask ourselves in light of the tremendous abortion problem in our country today, what can we do? What can we do? Number one, I've listed several. You can support crisis pregnancy centers like Someone Cares right here. Have their office right here in our church. Uh, there's a diaper drive going on. You can help with something like this. There are other pro-life organizations. Uh, the National Right to Life. You, you know, I, I know I know what you're thinking. You only have a certain amount of money that you can give. But it's amazing when you pray and you say, Lord, do you want me to give to this organization? I got their mail. I see a need. Uh, we have to pray these things through. I, I get a tremendous amount of mail. In fact, uh, the mailman catches his breath after he comes to my mailbox. Um, tremendous amount of mail. But, you know, I do go through it and say, Lord, um, should I support this? Um, Concern Women for America. It's a great organization. It was established by Beverly LaHaye. Now um, uh, Penny Nance runs it. And uh, boy, they're doing so much to represent life in the political realm and with politicians. Uh, It's amazing what they do. Secondly, um, support Christian organizations like Concerned Women for America. Pray. Don't ever underestimate the power of your prayer. In fact, one of the reasons um, uh, some people don't pray is because they they don't feel their prayers do anything. And, you know, it's sad. I've heard people, and and it really blew me away one time when a Christian said to me, well, you can pray for that person from now till the cows come home, and nothing's going to happen. And I, I couldn't answer I couldn't do it. I couldn't say something. This is a Christian leader. But you and I know the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous, it really does. Don't underestimate your praying. And I realize I've been there too. I'm there now. Certain things you ask the Lord for and you don't see the answers right away. But does that mean stop praying? Of course not. Pray about the needs of pro-life groups. Pray about the ending of legalized abortion in America. Now I want to summarize some things and we'll close in prayer. Passages of Scripture we should remember, or truths of Scripture. Here we go. Number one, life begins in the womb. Psalm 139, 13, the psalmist said, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together like a cloth is knit in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Life begins in the moon. Life begins at conception. Number two, God is creator. He created us and is the owner of all people. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. All belongs to God. I found this verse I never really noticed before. And it says, um, Every living soul belongs to me. The father as well as the son, the mother as well as the daughter. Ezekiel 18.4. I know I saw it before. I just didn't recognize it. Isaiah 64.8. O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, and we are all the work of your hand. Isaiah 64, 8. 
and I know you know this one too, God hates the shedding of innocent blood. Proverbs 6.17, six things the Lord hates, seven are abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. doesn't say the Lord hates the people. He says he hates that when that happens. Furthermore, God has a special love for children. Remember Jesus said, Suffer the children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Psalm 127, verse, 13, verse 3, rather. Children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And also, lastly, God tells us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. These key verses you'll hear often when you hear the subject of the sanctity of human life. God tells us to speak up. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are perishing. Speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Pretty clear, huh? Let's pray together.